wanted to thank you for coming here. We will begin. My name is Dustin Fuller. I'm the SACPA Board of Directors Vice Chair, and I am pleased to moderate SACPA's second regular session titled Is Scrapping the Mandatory Census Long Form Short Sighted, presented by Dr. Susan McDaniel and Dr. Heidi McDonald. This session is being recorded. SACPA is a volunteer nonprofit organization and relies on the contributions of its members and session attendees to continue its work. I would like to acknowledge both the University of Lethbridge for its financial support, including distribution of notices, as well as Country Kitchen Catering for preparing lunch. Please delegate someone at your table to count the $10 lunch fund prior to someone from SACPA collecting. As with tradition, the format of the meeting includes a 25-minute to 30-minute presentation, lunch, question period, finished around 1.30. At this time, I'd like to welcome Dr. Susan McDaniel, Daniel, sorry, Director of the Prentice Institute and University of Lethbridge Sociology Professor, who received a BA from the University of Massachusetts, an MA from Cornell University, and a PhD from the University of Alberta. And Dr. Heidi McDonald, a U of L history professor who received a BA from Mount St. Vincent University, an MA from St. Mary's University, and a PhD from the University of New Brunswick. Her current research focuses on youth during the Great Depression. Please join me in giving them a warm welcome. Okay, uh, good morning, good afternoon, good noontime. Good to see you all here. Um, Heidi and I decided uh, talking that we would uh, that I would go first and then she would follow me and answer all the questions I didn't cover so that's a good arrangement for me um, I was tempted when I heard this uh, question uh, to do something that was done to me a while back uh, when I was speaking uh, a, a, a good colleague was speaking uh, after me and uh, he actually got up and said ditto and sat down <laughs> So my temptation with respect to this title question is scrapping the mandatory long-form census short-sighted as yes. So now I can sit down because that's the answer that I've provided. Uh, and I think Heidi will agree with me from a historian's point of view, but we'll add more. What I thought I would do in the short time, uh, we have agreed that we would each talk. We each have short PowerPoints, but we thought that the important part of this discussion would be with you. So uh, we'll keep our, our remarks relatively short. But what I thought I'd do in introducing my remarks is introduce my uh, association with the Census and with Stats Canada, which is a little different than most people's. Uh, I have been directly involved in advising Stats Canada at their behest for almost two decades. I serve on the National Statistics Council, and those of you who have read the, today's Globe and Mail will see that the chair of the National Statistics Council, Ian McKinnon, it seems like we're all Scots, but we aren't, um, Ian McKinnon uh, uh, spoke uh, about the implications of scrapping the long-form census in the Globe and Mail today, as did Don Drummond, who was former economist, uh, chief economist at the Toronto Dominion Bank and is on the National Stats Council. I, in fact, am the third longest-serving uh, person on the National Statistics Council, and what this does, this is a body appointed by various governments, so I've been appointed by governments liberal and conservative for 18 years to advise 
Applied Stats Canada. We heard nothing at all about the scrapping of the long-form census in the National Statistics Council until you all heard it in the media. That's when we heard it. Uh, let me just mention something else. When the census is released, each time in the past 15 years, um, I've been on the front lines with the media commenting on what the changes mean. So the questions that are asked by the media are always very interesting for Canadians, and they're usually on the front page of the Globe and Mail and other newspapers. They ask questions like, how are immigrants doing compared to immigrants in the last census? How, what's happening with our, uh, with our incomes in Canada? What's happening with the ratio of renters to owners? How is that working? What's happening with families, common law unions? families living together in the same household. What's happening with uh, gay marriages now that we have them? Uh, so uh, family size. We ask all kinds of questions, and Canadians are really interested in that. So the notion of the census as benchmarking is extremely important. Um, so let me go back to our title question, and I want to say, uh, what is scrapping the mandatory long-form census short-sighted? My answer, as I said, is yes. So what are the kinds of things we would not know? And what I've done in this little exercise is a couple of things. So I want to share these with you. Uh, what I've done here is show you uh, what, what the government did in scrapping the long-form census. The order in council appeared, and this is what I saw the same time you all did, appeared in June 26th in this, uh, this obscure uh, uh, publication of the government called Canada Gazette. And what it said was that the, the, the government is ordering a census. And then you have to look to see what is included in that census, and this is the sum total in French and English of what it includes. They said... Essentially, here are the questions in French and English. No mention that the long-form census was going to be scrapped. They just included as an appendix the short-form questions. That's the announcement. So in that sense, excuse me for saying so, but it kind of snuck under the radar for a lot of people. And I would certainly think as a, as a member of the National Statistics Council, we would have discussed this and heard about it long before it was made public in the Gazette. Uh, what is uh, the National Household Survey? Uh, the sense of this is, and I've been an advocate for the National Household Survey, so I have nothing against it. I think it's wonderful, but it should accompany a long-form census. Um, this is, I will tell you, a more expensive approach. So it costs a lot more than the census. It covers less good, less good data, uh, a bigger sample of the population, but it covers less. Uh, it will it will get less good data to rely on in future. The questions from the National Household Survey are included here. Uh, you know the basic questions, but you got to remember that each of these questions is going to exclude uh, underrepresented populations, Aboriginal populations, people living. In in remote rural areas, people in the north will be underrepresented. Uh, people uh, who are particularly mobile will be underrepresented, and I'm one of those, so I, I've looked into that. Um, uh, people who are born in other countries will be underrepresented. Um, 
and people who are really poor and live under bridges or are homeless or are found only in shelters will be underrepresented. And because there's such a hoopla about the scrapping of the mandatory census, it might be that when you receive the National Household Survey, you will simply say, I don't need this. Unless you're well-educated, white, born in Canada, and participate in every survey that comes along, uh, then you might participate. But otherwise, you might be excluded. And this has been shown now definitively. Read the Globe and Mail today. Under, renters in Toronto are going to be underrepresented. Stats Canada did a survey on this, only available this morning by public, uh, what is it, a request for public information, uh, that the media found this out, that Stats Canada had done this because it wasn't made public by the government. So we know that the data that will be found is going to be inadequate. Here is, uh, very quickly, um, a comment made by two distinguished American uh, 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 professors. One is Stephen Feinberg, with whom I've worked, uh, professor of statistics at Carnegie Mellon University, and, and uh, uh, Kenneth Pruitt as a professor of public affairs at Columbia University. They're both Americans, and they made clear in an article that appeared in Nature, which is a very uh, well-read, well-respected magazine in August 2010, that in June, I'm just going to read this because it's quite an important statement. In June, Canada's government announced that it will turn its mandatory long-form census questionnaire sent to 20% of the population into a voluntary survey sent to 30%. This decision will lower the quality and raise the cost of information on nearly every issue before Canada's government. The implications are very serious, and the reality is once this article has appeared uh, outside of Canada, it's read worldwide, Canada is an exception uh, in the world now because we have scrapped this. The Americans tried to scrap their census and decided it was a failure and went back to doing the census. So we have that. Everyone knows that, and yet the Canadian government went forward with this. So a couple of examples of what we would not understand this is based on my uh, reading of the media based on the 2006 census release uh, from the long-form census. Uh, we would lose information on Aboriginal people. We would lose information on census families. Let me give you an example. In 2006, we learned for the first time that more families in Canada were comprised of couples without children than with children. Well, that has all kinds of implications for educational planning. We're not going to know that based on 2011 because we're simply not going to have the data. Lone parent families, there's an upward trend since in, uh, from 2001 to 2006. We're not going to know that. Large increase in one-person households, that has all kinds of implications for service delivery and for planning of communities. What else do we need to know that we will not know in 2006? Shelter costs, we won't know for example, that we learned in 2006, that shelter costs reported by Canadian households increased faster than the rate of inflation as measured by the Consumer Price Index. They rose faster for owner households than for renter households. Now, who would know that? You wouldn't know that unless we had the census. Um, in 2006, we learned from the census that almost that a quarter of all households spent 30% or more of their income on shelter, which was up considerably from 2001. That matters. We learned, for example, from 2006 that a higher proportion of recent immigrants are in the younger age groups, and the three largest cities attracted seven out of every ten newcomers. We're not going to know that. We, we know how many immigrants come into the country, but we don't know where they go 
follow after that. And we need to know to plant language facilities, for example. We won't know how many Francophones live in various communities. So in essence, we're going to have two things when we scrap the long-form census. We're going to have a lack of information on trends, important trends that we need to know about in order to plan in, co in communities. We're going to also have forever and ever a black hole in 2011, even if this is reversed in subsequent times. We'll never be able to do long-term historical analysis, which Heidi's going to talk about more, uh, with respect to the long-form uh, census. Let me just show you the results of this, uh, lest anyone think that this was politically popular. This is a survey that was done by ECOS. It's an independent survey that was done August, uh, the end of August, uh, August 25th through the 31st. Uh, and this was asked about the, uh, based on the census. Uh, and it looks like the liberals and the conservatives are neck and neck, and the conservatives lost considerably as a result of the census decision. So why this decision is made, if it's political efficacy, it's not working. Um, poll respondents were asked whether they felt the privacy intrusion of the census was justified or whether the lack of representativeness would cause vital information to be lost. Most Canadians understood that representativeness would be lost. They're not concerned about privacy. Some, some are, but it's a minority. Uh, opposition to the census decision is strongest among liberals and NDP supporters as well, and this is not party related, the as well part, among the university educated who understand the implications of it. This could indicate why support for the conservatives has declined among university educated and support for the liberals has increased. This is a serious kind of a concern that has implications for those people in the Canadian population, even if they don't know it. So I often get asked by the media, what does this matter for us? Should we care? Yes, you should, because it's going to matter for hospital planning, long-term care planning, road planning, commercial planning, uh, schools, hockey rinks. The list goes on and on. We're not going to be able to have that reliable community-level data that we have with the mandatory long-form census. One last thing, and then I'll turn it over to Heidi because I don't want to take too much time. We want to have lots of time to discuss. The question of uh, the issue of penalties for uh, not, uh, not answering the census has been raised again and again and again that people are being forced to answer the census. I've checked with Statistics Canada with both the both of the former chief statisticians because the, the, the one who was the chief statistician has now resigned and Ivan Felighi who was chief statistician for 25 years uh, and had worked at Stats Canada all of his adult life and both of them say that there have never been penalties uh, uh, put on anyone for not answering the survey. So in essence that's a moot issue. What counts with the mandatory census is that there is a whole lot of effort put into it. Advertising I'm sure you remember this. The count yourself in uh, posters in 17 languages around the country. Census takers would look for people in shelters to count them, not to harass them, but to count them. They would look for, uh, for uh, uh, illegal rental units in big cities in order to count people, not to harass them. And most Canadians said, yes, we want to stand up and be counted. So the notion of, of the participation aspect, the citizenship aspect of the long-form census is certainly part of the, the reason why so many people were eager to count themselves in. Uh, and uh, uh, those those uh, approaches have been very effective. They're also a way of nation binding. Uh, you know, you want to be counted because you count as a Canadian. You count. 
you want to be part of the, the counting. And so this notion that we're coerced into saying how many bedrooms we have in our in our houses, uh, I should mention nobody's asking you what you're doing in the bedrooms on the census, so that's, not, uh, that's a moot question too. Uh, they're only saying how many bedrooms do you have? Well, that's known in the tax records. Anybody can look it up. It's known in the, in the, the, the multiple listing services for real estate. When you buy a house, that's the first thing you ask. How many bedrooms does it have? It's not exactly a secret. You know, I mean, nobody says, "Ooh, boy, I got four. You got three. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, it really, it, 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 it's simply a, a red herring. So I thank you very much. And what we'll do is turn it over to Heidi because I don't want to take too much time. And we will return then as a duet to engage with lots of discussion and questions. Thank you. Thanks for coming today and for inviting Susan and I. Uh, many historians depend on both the short and long form of the census for their research, research that, is, that doesn't just go on shelves and is never noticed, uh, but research that is disseminated into university and school classrooms and sometimes used in social and economic policymaking. The census provides data for a myriad of different kinds of research. <clears throat> Too many kinds to mention today, but let me just note that because the census is organized by household, it is extremely important for studying the history of the family. You won't be able, I, I know, and I'm sorry, you won't be able to see this clearly, but this is a 1911 census form that a census taker filled in, out by going door to door. You can see how it's a nice snapshot of the household. The head is listed, followed by other members and their relationship to the head. Uh, everyone underlined is a head. This happens to be my great-grandfather. Uh, so this is the head, uh, the members of the household, where they lived, the sex, uh, date of birth, ethnic origin, uh, there's a lot there. Uh, literacy, it goes on. In fact, uh, the census form goes beyond what you can see. This particular census form, these forms are impounded or locked away for 92 years. So this example from 1911 is the most recent one that I can show you. I mention that because privacy is such a concern. We've learned so many things from Canadian censuses that we would not have known otherwise. A few brief examples in addition to Susan's. Single parenthood or lone parenthood did not spike in the 1960s, but has always been relatively common. And until quite recently, approximately 25% of households included a member outside the nuclear family, often a border. Because of the, lo the long form, Form 2B, we know that the number of members in a household has fallen since 1881, but that the size of houses has increased since World War II. Moreover, because the census is taken street by street, we can compare neighborhoods, and we know that there are, that there are major social inequalities in Canada that are not improving over time, and that decreases in birth rate and increases in house size are far from being uniform, but rather have some notable class, gender, and ethnic differences. Historians are distressed about the scrapping of the mandatory long form of the census for a variety of reasons. 
We do not expect that a voluntary long census form will provide a decent example, and we have good reasons for believing this. Historically, the elite have always generated more records during their lives, and more of these have survived after their deaths. You may have heard the phrase, whoever wins the war gets to write the history, or history is written by the winners. Now, I would dispute these quips and say that professional historians are required to adhere to standards in our discipline and go through a rigorous process of peer review. On the other hand, there's some truth to that statement, that history is written by the winners, because historians can only study the documents and material that survives. Consider the example of diaries, another important source to many historians, but a source that tends to represent the middle and upper classes. At the risk of stating the obvious, to produce a diary, an individual must be literate. And we know from censuses that in the early 20th century, for example, some provinces had illiteracy rates of 30%. After being produced in order for a diary to survive, the diarist must have had sufficiently stable accommodations to preserve their diaries for their whole life and then donate it to an archive. One could say that the historical diaries available to Canadian historians today are a voluntary sample, and they are not nearly representative of our population. We need the census to balance our other sources. Losing the long form of the census means we lose records for people on the margins. We are at risk 100 years from now of having the history of the early 20th century, the history of today, reflect only the winners. And this is not just a loss to professional historians who work in universities. It will be at least as significant a loss to amateur historians and genealogists. Uh, Let me ask, how many of you know people who have compiled their family history or genealogy? How many? uh, A good number of hands. Uh, So you know, but I'll, I'll tell the rest, that this is a significant and popular undertaking in Canada today. I've done research in archives across the country, and my experience is that a third to a half of researchers in the archives with me are working on their genealogies. The census is one of the most important sources to genealogists because, as I said earlier, enumeration is by household. So the genealogist gets a family snapshot which he or she can follow every 10 years. The people who support scrapping the long form of the census probably do not realize that they will be cutting off their own great-grandchildren from learning about their 21st century forebearers. If the long form of the census is scrapped and additional privacy controls are introduced, our own family members in the future will have fewer means to learn about us. It's worth taking a moment, and I promise just a moment, uh, to consider the broad background to the current dispute over the long census form. The first known census in what is now Canada was taken in New France 344 years ago in 1666 and recorded the age, sex, marital status, and occupation of the 3,200 inhabitants. The 1867 Confederation Agreement, our Constitution, or uh, also known as the British North American Act, required a census to be taken in 1871 and every 10 years thereafter. Questions were added each census year so that by the fifth national census in 1911, there were 13 separate questionnaires with a total of 522 questions. 
Not everyone had to answer all the questionnaires. Uh, for example, as today, those involved in agriculture had an additional lengthy questionnaire. Still, even the basic populations questionnaire, which everyone had to answer, was long. The creation of the Bureau of Statistics at the end of World War I offered alternative ways of obtaining some data. And so beginning in 1941, the census was divided into a short and long form. In 1941, one in 10 households was required to fill out the long form. And because that was not considered a sufficient sample, in 1951, we went to the system that we have today, to head until a few months ago, uh, one in five households had to respond to the long form. So that's how we came to the process of having one in five households complete the long form. It was meant to be a compromise from every uh, uh, change from every household answering up to 500 questions. If you think the long form is long now, it's still very short <laughs> compared to the regular form that everyone filled out uh, in before 1941. Uh, I'd just like to address the, the major justification for scrapping the mandatory census, that is privacy issues. I'll note just a few regulations in place around privacy. It's not like this has not been addressed, my goodness. Uh, first thing, census takers have been required to take an oath of secrecy since 1881. Uh, secondly, the Statistics Act of 1918 here it is, has very explicit guarantees, which I'll, I'll summarize this to say, no information identifying an individual may be released, and o only those compiling and tabulating the census may see the material. That's a summary. I'd also say a key part of protecting an individual's privacy is that census information that could identify an individual is impounded or locked away for 92 years. Uh, this is standard in similar countries. In uh, Britain and the U.S., for example, this has varied between 70 and 100 years. Uh, another thing I'd mention uh, concerns about, that addresses concerns about privacy, and that is that there was an expert panel on access to historical census records in 2000. This, among other things, uh, and their goal, you see in this, their second bullet, what are the elements of the difference of opinions between Canadians who seek to maintain the protection of personal information and those who'd like to examine the personal or community histories? So this is what they addressed. Uh, as part of their research, they, uh, and Veronics did a poll for them saying, thinking about yourself, this is from 2000, would you strongly agree, somewhat agree, somewhat disagree, or strongly disagree with allowing your personal census information to be made available to historians uh, about 100 years from now? 76% responded that they, they agreed. In their final report, this expert panel concluded that the passage of time diminishes the concerns about individual privacy. Thus, in the matter of privacy concerns of individual, individuals versus the value of public access, the panel believes the value of public access after a sufficient period of time, 92 years, uh, to be preeminent. And I've come up against these rules as a researcher, and my experience is that there are no exceptions to that 92-year rule. 
So in my estimation, these privacy controls do work, and I have no hesitation for sure about giving personal information in the long or the short form of the census. I don't care after I'm dead who knows anything I answered on the census. I sometimes wonder if I'm missing something on that, but I've, I don't see anything that I'm missing. Uh, my last point on privacy relates to the number of bedrooms question. Uh, I believe this has been badly misinterpreted and that there's been ir real irresponsibility in how some elected members have commented on this, and, and Susan has made this point well. I just add a little bit. that There's much more... Well, there's no comparison between Trudeau's comment that the state has no business in the bedrooms of the nation and with the counting of bedrooms in a household. So two different things. Trudeau was referring to legalizing birth control in 1969. I think Trudeau would want us to keep counting bedrooms because they are indicators of wealth and a real way to measure social inequality. Uh, Inuit leader Elsa P. Shatutapik has argued specifically for the importance of keeping the long-form question on the number of bedrooms because, in her words, Inuit living five to a bedroom in Clyde River or other places know the shame inherent in that question all too well. So she says, it's disappointing in the extreme that the greatest opposition to such invasions of privacy have come from individuals presumably unaffected by a shortage of housing. And historians want to maintain the bedrooms question for similar reasons, that we need that question to explain how people live. One historian, Peter Ward, has used the data to show trends in household, si in household size. Uh, you can see the dotted line that is diminishing uh, is the household size, the number of rooms in a house. Uh, and then the thin line is the size of the house. One to three rooms is the thin line. The medium line is four to five rooms. And the thickest line is six or more rooms. I've heard so many uh, government officials say, who cares? Well, we care. We care. This is what we do with it. Uh, and then we take this information. And the Alberta curriculum uh, in the elementary and junior high levels now has a lot of Canadian content. Don't you think it's interesting to children to know how many bedrooms were in houses in the past? Did kids have their own bedroom? There's so much that can be done with this, with this information. And so this just goes to 1981. My colleague Ivan Townsend has compiled this similar graph based on census data from 1981 and 2006. It shows that in this 25-year period, there's been a significant shift toward households of one or two people. Susan also mentioned this. So the, the blue is 1981, the black is 2006, and the first two columns have one-person or two-person households. These are, this is a significant shift, and one that we count on the census form to uh, be, the long form to to, uh, to sort out. I, I spoke with, um, this is in a, a book written by my colleague in geography who's a couple offices down from me, and he's, he's so upset by this that he will not be able to continue his research. So to conclude, scrapping the mandatory census will have an immediate impact on public policy. To play this forward, consider how the scrapping of the long form will affect how we do history in the future. 
Presumably, if the world is spared, as my late grandmother would say, 92 years after the 2011 census is taken, historians will not be able to use the census to the extent they could use it previously to do history. Historians are already losing traditional sources, such as diaries, correspondence, and meeting minutes. Fewer people keep diaries. Almost no one writes letters. Uh, And many organizations are too scared of privacy rules to take minutes anymore. Uh, So we're already losing many traditional forms that we would use uh, to write history. So to lose the long form of the census on top of this really is a great loss and robs future generations of being able to understand their pasts. This is in some ways a throwback to an uneven style of history where only the winners have their stories told. That is why I think scrapping the mandatory long form census is very short-sighted. Thank you.